Welcome to the Inside Aesthetics Podcast. Our mission is to strip away the myths and hype that often surround the aesthetics industry. Inside Aesthetics aims to get to the bottom of the important topics that concern medical and allied health professionals, as well as the consumers themselves. We'll be showcasing the thoughts and experiences of experts in their respective fields. Each podcast will focus on a specialty, including surgery, non-surgical procedures, nutrition, well-being, and business knowledge from the personalities that have helped shape our industry. This podcast and its related publications provide news and general educational information about cosmetic procedures and well-being. It does not promote or endorse any cosmetic procedure, brand, or product. You should seek professional medical assessment before considering any treatment. Our guest today is Dr. David Mabry, a facial plastic surgeon and cosmetic injector from San Francisco in the United States. Dr. Mabry's practice now offers almost exclusively non-surgical solutions, and he's developed his own method of assessing and injecting the face, known as Illumination 360 degrees. We'll be discussing his practice, the American injectables market, and reflect some of the trends between America compared to Australia. We'll also be exploring the common perception that Americans like to look treated and whether this is truly the reality. Good evening, Dr. David Mabry. Hey, thanks for having me, Jake. No problem. So we, we've become friends on Instagram, haven't we? And uh, We have. It sounds a little bit sus. It sounds dodgy. <laughs> but uh, I kind of feel like that's how a lot of injectors roll these days. Yeah. Um, so, David, thank you for coming. And you're all the way from San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Why are you here in Australia? What, what are you doing? Why am I here in Sydney? Well, Sydney's fantastic. Um, I first came... Wanted to come here when I uh, saw that Dr. Lou was having um, a conference. Yes. And as we spoke, um, I found out about his clinic about four or five years ago. And I was having some uh, some name envy. <laughs> we had just, well, we, you know, we have this um, sort of a process that I call Illumination 360. And it took me a while to come up with this name of, you know, my way of looking at the whole face. Yeah. And... Um, it's um, Illumination 360 because we're looking at lights and shadows and we want the face to be illuminated and we want it to look good from all angles, 360. And I was really happy with that. And then I, I saw Dr. Luz uh, and he, his name of his clinic is Shape. And I was like, oh, it's a better name. I love that. Yeah. I like that shape. Just, Just the, the one word, Shape. Shape. So I've yeah. been a fan of his for, for a long time. Great. So um, for people in Australia who may not have come across you, even though you're super duper famous, tell us about your background and, and what did you train in and, and how did you end up injecting? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, uh, my initial background is as a facial plastic surgeon. I um, first trained to be a head neck surgeon, um, otolaryngology we call it, mm-hmm. and I uh, did that a residency at Johns Hopkins and then I yeah. So how did I get into um, My dad is a head and neck surgeon. I was following in his footsteps. Okay, right. And then within the field, I got excited about being an artist, using my hands, and I decided to do a fellowship in facial plastic surgery. And then while doing that, I'd say that at first my goal was to become like a world-famous rhinoplasty surgeon. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think I was getting actually pretty good for a while. I was doing, um, starting to really do just facial plastic surgery, and I stopped doing general ENT. And then there was a time when I was doing both surgeries and fillers, and I really started enjoying the fillers. Hmm. And there would be a time when I might do a, 
or rhinoplasty surgery in the morning, and you would take a couple tip grafts and make the tip look nice. And then I'd come to the office and use the fillers, and, and it finally clicked like, you know, I think I can do some of the stuff I was doing surgically with fillers. Why don't I just put some fillers the same way I did those tip grafts? And I was like, wow. And so really enjoyed um, the interaction with patients. And so I started really gravitating towards just fillers all the time. Interesting. So mm-hmm. we followed a similar path then, surgical background, and now you've, you've dropped surgery completely. Yes. Okay, cool. And how did uh, your wife take that? Your wife sat here in the background. <laughs> was, she, was she saying, no, 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 no? Uh, let's see. I am, when I met my wife, baby, my wife's actually, I'm looking at my wife now, I'm trying to remember. When we met, I think I met her at the, um, the movie theater and I was telling her, hey, you can trust me, I'm a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she looked and and. I was doing facial plastic surgery at the time, so I think that was right around the time where I was transitioning to being, you know, just the filler guy. Okay. Wow. So if you had your time again, would you go through all of that surgical training if you were going to be doing non-surgical treatments? Do you think you would have gone down the same path? You know, I would. Okay. I would because um, I actually feel like when I'm doing, the thing about our, our practice is that I'm treating each procedure the same way I would or I'm approaching each procedure the same way I would approach a surgical procedure, you know? And I think I got um, sort of the, the seriousness of, you know, getting consistent before and afters, really preparing for it and just treating it. It's like a little 20 minute procedure. And I have an assistant who's helping me and it feels just like you're in the operating room. But I, I got a lot of my appreciation for anatomy and appreciation for you know, what are the, what are the results look like? And I got that from being, being a surgeon. Mm-hmm. And I think I wouldn't have gotten that if I had gone a different route. Yeah. Do you feel like uh, maybe part of you feels like you're not doing everything that you trained to do? Because I mean, I know that the plastics program in Australia, and I'm sure it's very similar in the States is grueling. Yes. First of all, to get onto the program and mm-hmm. then all those years of study, do you mm-hmm. s- sort of feel like this part of you that itches to still operate or do you sort of, oh, that's gone now? No, you know, there definitely was a time when I was, um, you know, I was a young uh, facial plastic surgeon and I have a good friend, um, Susan, she's my right hand person, my practice manager. And I remember telling her, I said, Susie, I think I'm going to stop doing this filler stuff. This is beneath, I'm a surgeon, mm. you know, like this is beneath me. I'm right. And she's like, well, I don't know. I like the return business, these are clients are going to stay with you. So I said, oh, all right, I'll stick with it. But then when I found the artistry behind yeah. it, and uh, there were just things that you can do with fillers that you just physically cannot do surgically. You know, you can just sort of almost paint a result, you know, the control that you can have. In minutes. In minutes. With and minimal downtime. Yes. But you can do it in a surgical way. So when I'm holding um, a syringe with a microcanula, it just feels like another surgical instrument to me. Mm. And, you know, we're very careful with the way we clean. And it feels, just reminds me of being in the operating room again, where you're doing your prep work, you're taking your photographs, you have a clear goal from your patient. And you're, you're, I like to use a magnifying lens. Yeah, I've seen that. We're zoomed in and you're just like zoned in. You're, so it feels just like being in the operating room to yeah. me. I love it. And I guess fillers are 
moving or evolving so quickly? I mean, I guess surgery, there's a certain way to do things and I'm sure there's evolutions and, and things that get improved along the way, but fillers just in terms of like the new products that are coming out and techniques and needles and how deep and what plane you're in and the different cannulas. On, it seems like it's moving really rapidly. Yeah, you know, one of the, one of the challenges 10 years ago was all the anatomy I learned was surgical anatomy. And most of the anatomy was being concerned about not cutting nerves. Um, and so I was trying to extrapolate from the anatomy that I learned and apply that to fillers. And some of it, you know, had a lot of sort of hands-on doing blepharoplasties and doing facelifts. But, you know, now we really need to know what level are the arteries at. And that wasn't as important. So I was really, really searching for... Um, an anatomical books to help me with fillers. And we just didn't have it 10 years ago. And now there's so many doctors that are, that are so great about sharing what they know. And, and so that I think the anatomical knowledge is really rising. And I think now we're all understanding the goals better. So it, it's a pretty exciting time. Yeah. Can you explain this, the surgical, sorry, the, the injectable scene in the States. I mean, that's mm. a broad question because, you know, you're from San Francisco and it might be different the other side, but mm -hmm. what, what's the sort of, you know, what's happening out there at the moment? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I feel that the majority of injectors in the States are prop, there's probably two general sort of patterns. It's either um, there could be a plastic surgeon who has several mid-level mid -level injectors where he has uh, either nurses or nurse practitioners or physician assistants that are working for him or her. Mm -hmm. you know, so you have the surgeon, but the surgeon's not doing the injections themselves. Yeah. I think that's part of the main things. Or you may have a nurse practitioner or physician assistant who's working sort of by themselves and loosely working with a doctor. So, you know, my practice where I'm a surgeon and this is like my main, this is really what I do 98% of the time is it's a little sort of an outlier in the States currently. Yeah. So there aren't many plastic surgeons injecting is what you're saying? Uh, not full time, not their main thing. Okay. Fair enough. And do, do, do those doctors looking after the nurses and, and nurse practitioners have to prescribe for them? Is that why they're associated with them or is it just because if they're in the same building? Yeah, that's a great question. So of the, of the different levels of injectors, if you're an LVN in the United States, you can inject a neuromodulator under direct supervision. Mm -hmm. If you're a registered nurse, you can inject um, neuromodulators or fillers or operate um, a laser, um, but it, it shouldn't be a new patient. So the doctor would have met the patient and will prescribe and say, hey, I think this patient should have X, y, Z. these fillers, this and that. And then the, the nurse can then do that and continue to do that. And okay. that the doctor is supposed to be close and, and in the room. So for anyone listening, neuromodulator, you're referring to like a, a botulinum toxin? Yes. Yep, cool. And then LVN, that's, I don't think we've got that terminology here. Is that like a, an enrolled nurse as opposed to a registered nurse? Yeah, so a licensed vocational nurse right. is an LVN and a registered nurse. Those right. are sort of the two levels. Yeah, so we've got registered nurse here and enrolled nurse. So. Yeah. And then the, the third level um, of injector would be, oh. um, yeah, practitioner. So either a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant. And now this person can actually meet new patients on their own uh, and they just are associated with a, with a doctor. And they think they just need to meet, you know, monthly and review their cases together. Hmm. That's cool. Mm -hmm. 
tell us about your clinic and your practice. I've seen it on uh, Instagram. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's very, yeah. very funky. <laughs> oh, thanks, guys. You guys. Did you design that yourself or was you have outside assistance? You guys have to... Uh, <laughs> combine hangouts oh, yeah. 100% we'll do a follow up in, uh, podcast in San Francisco that'd be cool <laughs> yeah for sure so we're in uh, in San Francisco and it's a place called Union Square and um, it's 98% fillers eh, maybe 90% and we do do some neuromodulators or botulinum toxin yeah. injections also but mostly fillers that's really interesting because mm-hmm. I mean you know your average indebtable client We'll have anti-wrinkle treatments mm-hmm. as almost a standard, plus maybe filler. Mm. Not always. And, yes. and, and my practice is definitely getting, well, it's more filler, to be honest now. But yeah. most, you know, your average client would be worried about frown lines first, and then they sort of evolve into other things. Yes. Just because of their natural sort of anxiety, and, and you know, it's just how it is. Yeah, we're really the reverse. And um, some of our representatives are often said, you know, it's so funny how, you know, you're doing more fillers than, than, uh, than neuromodulators, but yeah, I really enjoy the fillers and yeah. sort of artistic. Yeah, absolutely. Expression. Um, we can't talk about brands and stuff, but just tell yeah. us sort of about your common procedures. I'm just curious to know whether it's mirroring what, what's happening here in Australia and the UK. Yeah, that's interesting. So I'd say up to about five years ago, I really was focusing on areas so we were doing non-surgical rhinoplasties. Um, we're doing tear trough, lips, most, mostly that. Sure. And now we're, we're, at, we're doing some jawline contouring. But I'd say in the last two to three years, we've been trying to shift towards looking at the whole face. That's great, yeah. Yeah, and so now we might do the whole face or facial zones. So someone may come in and instead of saying, hey, I'm just gonna do your tear troughs, will really treat this mid-face zone, yeah. which goes from cheek to cheek. And it's usually this sort of three areas, sort of mid-face, cheekbone, and then a tear trough. That's exactly how I practice, which is why I chose you for this podcast. Awesome. I saw <laughs> that you're pretty similar to me yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, was that something that you came up with yourself or had you done some training or, uh, you know, how did you come across that? You know, it just sort of naturally evolved. You know, I mean, certainly under eyes is the most common thing. Yeah. And then for a while, we had this sort of one syringe model. So patients would come in and say, we say, hey, here are our prices. And it was really kind of confusing for patients because we say, here are the prices and they have to figure out what they want. But how do you know what you want? You know, yes. so do I want one cc of this and one cc of that? And so we found it was better just to take that option away and say, hey, if you want to treat your under eyes, we typically have to treat these three areas together. Yeah. And at first we were really afraid of making the leap, but patients, the confusion's really gone. Well, yeah. I mean, what I found consulting your way now is that the goal is, do you want to look less tired, not do you want two mils of filler Mm. or Mm. whatever it may be? And, you know, I I think... Our patients understandably come with an objective. I want my lips done. Yeah. But when you look at them, particularly trained as a facial plastic surgeon, you're looking at the whole face proportions, you know, the ratio of the lip and does it work? Do you need the lip? Is there a bigger issue? Is it the under eye that's really detracting from a younger person's face? Mm-hmm. So I agree. Like you just can't. It, you know, David calls it the McDonald's model. You can't come in and say, I want lips, and you go, okay. Yes. That doesn't seem to be like a good way of uh, treating someone as a doctor. 
Yeah, so that that's actually worked very well. I'd say maybe the last two years, we've gone to this facial zone, like mid face, lower face, or full face. And what we've been, the thing we're working on lately is it takes two treatments. So we're really trying to educate our patients to expect that come back for a second treatment. And so that was a bit of a challenge for a while, but that's working out well. Do you mm. do that at all? So bring them back for stage treatments? Mm -hmm. It kind of depends. I mean, mm -hmm. often that's limited basically by budget, I would mm -hmm. say. But, you know, if someone wants the goal of going back to your um, tear trough and cheek, I find a lot of people, if they go away half-treated, there's a little bit of disappointment mm -hmm. and, and they lose a bit of faith in in, in the goal and they sort of, you yeah. know, you might get a text message a few days later saying, hey, I'm, I'm still looking a bit hollow and, yes. and so on. So I've, I've probably moved away from that. I mean, there are reasons why you have to sometimes. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm more get it done. It's my so, surgical mentality. So, so here's what we, I found with, with treating the under eyes in our practice. Um, we just, I've really had to have the second treatment. Um, and for two reasons, we say that one, as soon as I place a micro cannulin, there's a little bit of swelling. And so I, I tell the patient it's similar to having like your nails done. So you always need two coats mm -hmm. and it's because you put the, you, know, you put the polish on and as it dries, it's going to, you know, it's going to contract, but yeah. you never know where it's going to contract. You can't put twice the polish on. So you have to wait 15 minutes. And so what we tell our patients is we want you to wait four weeks and come back. And I did struggle with the budget thing. So what we do is on the second visit, the, the, the syringes are sort of half price, mm. you know, and so patients kind of get that, yep. you know, the first treatment is going to cost this much. And then when you come back, all your syringes are going to be at half. And what we're going to, we're moving to is we're going to just charge. We're going to say, um, your, your visit, okay. Under eyes is included with this. And that's going to include your three syringes of your first visit. It's going to include your fourth syringe on your second visit. Yes. And then if we need anything else, it'll be half price. So mm -hmm. they pay up front for that, yes. knowing that they'll get at least a mill of filler on their second visit mm -hmm. paid already. And we do that currently for non-surgical rhinoplasty, and it's worked great. No one ever, everyone, the expectations are great. So for non-surgical rhinoplasty, because we're typically using less than half a syringe. Yes. Yeah. And so... Let's say with the tip, it may be less than 0.1. You know, we're trying to get the tip defining points. And I'd say I really noticed that it looks fantastic, um, but a lot of that swelling. And so when the patients will come back in two to four weeks, it's gone down. Yes. So I insist they come back. And when you tell them, hey, you're paying for two visits, they all come back. You know, they paid the one price. But when they come back, we just do a small amount and they're, they're super happy. Yeah, that's a nice model, yeah. So I would say... For a while, we used to make it optional, um, but then there were some patients, as you said, um, if they've done the first treatment and you didn't tell them about the second treatment, then they've lost some trust. And so now we tell them ahead of time, hey, we really want to have you come back. Yeah. And uh, I think it's worked really well. How important do you think the consultation process is in this whole journey? Because I've got a team of nurses that, that sort of I've worked with or continue to work with me in my clinics and mm -hmm. something that I see people struggling with is understanding the importance of the consultation process. There's this almost unquenchable desire to learn the latest technique and the latest mm. product. But I feel like 
there seems to be a lack of respect for how important that consultation process is in setting, I guess, the the plan or like understanding the whole process and how you're basically approaching the face holistically. You're not sort yes. of treating it spot treating because it, it doesn't make sense to do it like that, but right. it still feels that that consult is something that we need to work on a lot more, especially in some of the businesses that I'm involved in. Yeah. That's, um, I'd say there's two, we have a two prong approach to that. One, we really try to be completely transparent on the website and we work really hard at having a lot of education and probably 90% of the patients that come to our practice, they're not coming for a consultation in the sense of, do I wanna do it or not? So we're not there to try to talk them into it. So most of them, we have our pricing listed and most patients know what they, you know, know that they do wanna yeah, do something. they're pre-qualified. Yes, they're yeah. pre-qualified. But what we are doing, we call it Fillers 101. And so, it used to be just me that would do the fillers one-on-one and now you know, my whole team is trained in how to do it. And that's about a 15 or 20 minute education process. And we say, hey, you may have had fillers done somewhere else, but we do things differently. Um, we're, gonna, we're gonna explain how fillers work and then we're gonna explain how we use fillers in our practice. And we have a whole 15 minute thing. We start off, this is a syringe, you know, and I love it. It's great. This is a micro cannula. Let me see your hand. See, it's not a needle. <laughs> Put your hand, and we, we squeeze some filler in their hand. And then we take a hyaluronidase, the enzyme, and we inject so they can see it dissolve. You do this for every client? Every client. How are you affording filler just to squirt out all over your fingers? Well, there's a couple ways. One, we have some sample pr products yeah. or maybe some, you know, old filler. Um, but you know, one one syringe will go a long way. Actually, Close, yeah. it's just a couple drops. Yeah, and um, and you know, we ask the reps, and you say, "Hey, we want to do this," and so they'll give us some samples for this. Uh, I'm gonna so, call next week. So, <laughs> so, and the dissolving is amazing because yes. you, you say have this little lump in their finger, and you do this little science experiment where you inject the hyaluronidase, and the filler goes bloop 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 bloop, and it's just a ton of things. One, they get a feel for, hey, this is a, it has mass, it has feeling, this is what a filler is. Yeah. And then when they see it dissolve, it also gives them a lot of comfort too. I think some solace, like, okay, we can dissolve. Worst case scenario, it's pretty much gone. And which is a great segue for here, the complications, the possible things. So, you know, we can have these complications happen and this is how we solve it. So you can see them go, oh. Yeah. And so, um, so we do that first part. And then we have this little thing from Allergan where they show the different filler types, mm -hmm. how they feel. We show, we let them do that. And then we say, okay, um, uh, here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to um, sort of rejuvenate these areas of the face. We'll show under the eyes. We'll show how the shadows hit the jowling area. We want to make those areas smooth. Or we're looking to contour your face and we'll show some before and afters where we've done the jawline, we've done the cheekbones or the chin. And so once they're satisfied with fillers one-on-one, will transition and actually examine their face. I think that's such a great thing. Yeah. And if you could do a video of that and send it to me, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to play your face to all of my clients. Yeah. Well, I think, I think, well, it's brilliant because I think part of the objection that people might have is, is fear of the unknown. Mm -hmm. You always, 
we were talking about this in a few podcasts ago about people being worried about things that they don't completely understand. When you get yeah. in a car and drive every day, yeah, you can have an accident, but you understand the risks, you're in control, you, you, you know what you're dealing with as opposed to being maybe in a plane mm-hmm. where you're not in control, something goes wrong or you get some turbulence, people freak out. Yeah. And I think that what you're doing by doing this physical demonstration, like there's no amount of words that you could speak that would explain it better than actually doing that demonstration. And as you said, like you're just seeing that fear just lift from yeah. people so that you can actually then, because I think that sometimes when people have got something on their mind, you can be talking to them, but, yeah. not, but nothing's getting through. Yes. It's not until you've broken down that fear barrier that then you can go, ah, oh, we can communicate now. Now yeah. we can actually talk about how, what we can do for you because now we've got that out of the way and we can talk. Absolutely. So we're trying to build this rapport and build this trust. And um, I just, the education part's super fun for me. And uh, I think the patients like that. And so we like it. Yeah, I really like that idea. I'm just wondering how we would do it. I mean, I'm interested to know how much the stock costs you now. We can't talk about names of brands and stuff, mm-hmm. but how much would a thick filler cost that you might use for a cheekbone per cc or per mil? Okay, so I think um, the majority of our fillers are costing us in the States, you know, between 250 and $300. That's your cost price? Yes, and then the thick filler is like $400, our thicker okay. fillers. And then, I mean, for someone like yourself, you don't have to say your prices, but what's an average price for a customer for that filler? I'd say for the thinner fillers, the average price is in San Francisco, like six to nine hundred dollars. Mm. Yeah, I've been told it's more expensive, and that sounds more expensive. Six to nine in our in our in our practice currently, it's about twelve hundred per cc of the th- of the thin filler. Yes, and the thick. The thick uh, is fifteen. Wow. And so, what we do again, we'll have some samples or you know some expired product that we use. Yeah. Okay. That's great. And just to finish the story, the neuromodulator, um, again, no brands, but you guys charge per unit as well, don't you? Or not? You know, we're sort of back and forth on going per unit or going per area, you know, so we do a little kind of a combination of both. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Here in Australia, it's per unit. Um, in the UK, I was used to doing areas and it really confused me when I first came here, but actually I now think it makes more sense from a business perspective, because you have to charge per amount of stuff you use. Yeah. Because otherwise clients go, well, hold on, one one forehead's wrinkly and really tall and wide and the other one's tiny, and yet that's an area. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't make sense to, to, to have a fixed price. It just, yeah. Yeah, although I think we do tend to, what we'll do is we'll, we'll treat sort of by unit, but if a patient's um, results aren't complete, then we, we typically don't charge them when they come back, so... Hmm. Um, you know, we try to get, get the, we try to go for results with the neuromodulator stuff. Okay. Getting back to, um, you mentioned something at the beginning about this, uh, illumination 360. Yes. So we've got something in Australia and probably Jake can speak to this a lot more than I can. Um, MD codes. Oh yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. So what's the, is this like your version of that, that you've created in isolation without having access to the MD codes, or is it completely different? Can you maybe break it down for us? We were talking about this when we first found this. It's super interesting because I think that MD codes is just uh, not available to us in the United States. Maybe because it's um, Dr. Jamayo is um, working with Allergan with this, and I think because it's off-label, you know, we have this really interesting thing in in the States where um, the companies... You know, the doctors can talk about 
whatever they want to talk about. You know, if, if it's off label, we can still can talk about it. But the companies have to be really careful to not push off label things. And so many of the areas I think are technically off label indications. So they're not able to give us and, and we've actually tried to get MD codes the book and, and, and so the <laughs> the reps usually can't help us get that. So uh, we're going to actually try and get, uh, I'm not going to mention his name in case he can't come, but this Sunday we're going to try and record a podcast with someone who does, I don't know if they call it the MD codes, I'm pretty sure they don't, but he does essentially the MD codes for Allegan in the States. Oh, interesting. So I'll link you guys up if... Um, yeah, if we catch up at the conference this weekend. Okay. But um, the MD codes, if you're listening, it, it's, uh, like you said, it was developed by a Brazilian plastic surgeon, mm -hmm. Dr. Maurizio de Maio. And it's, He's it, great. in its essence, it's just, uh, well, it's a consulting method, first of all. So uh, it's about exactly what you're saying, talking about um, regions of the face rather than zoomed in on lips, etc. Yeah. Um, but also uh, making injecting more predictable, more mm -hmm. surgical in the sense that you're actually counting how much filler you're using rather than just doing it by eye. Yes. Um, and you're doing predictable points of the face, so you're using anatomy as well. Yes. And certainly I can say by using it in the last three years, my skill level has certainly elevated. I'm doing things that I never thought was possible before I started thinking about it, you know, seriously yeah rather than just chasing lines and wrinkles yeah so definitely within our office and I, for the first time i started training another injector she's a physician assistant and it's been fantastic for both of us because it's made me have to explain everything i do and then you have to think well why do i do it that way you know um but when we're rec when we're sort of recording the treatments that we do um the areas that we have we have sort of tear trough, which would be just above the orbital rim, but medial to the pupil. And then you have the lateral orbit, again, above the orbital rim, but lateral to the pupil. And then just inferior to that, we would call that our mid-face area. And then just lateral will be malar. And then below both of those, we have sort of this submalar area. And so mm -hmm. we're typically recording how much filler we're putting in each one of those areas. And, and so what we'll do is we'll have on one sheet of paper, several faces, we'll take one label per um, filler, you know, for each syringe. And then we'll just, the, so while I'm injecting, there'll be an assistant who's recording, okay, he put 0.2 in the tear trough, yeah. 0.4 here. A little bit like at the dentist where the assistant's writing down what you've done with each yeah. tooth. Yeah, just like that. I mean, there are injectors who might find that really fussy. And years ago, I would probably agree. But now I find it bizarre that someone wouldn't know what they've done. Oh, yeah. And maybe it's just because we're from surgical backgrounds and we're used to I guess just it's not even being pernickety it's about understanding what you're doing yeah um, and and also for medical legal reasons you know if I can produce something that says exactly what I did with how much what tool did I use mm -hmm. what layer it is yeah you can't really argue that that's that's mm -hmm. exactly what you did mm -hmm. whereas you know, another injector might be like, well, I kind of put a blob here, but I, I'm not sure if it's 0.7 or 0.3. We've even started, um, there are two more, two more photographs. So for every new patient, um, we start off with um, sort of our pre-treatment photos. Mm. And we start off with um, a lateral, oblique, frontal, smiling, and then oblique, and then a profile. And we'll put those up. We have these sort of large screens. And now what we do is just when after we make the marks, so I, I'll use a, a sort of um, 
reusable or not reusable, but a disposable. Like a makeup pen thing? A mark, markup pen. Yeah. Um, not, not a white, I, I prefer the white makeup pens, but uh, we use, they have these sort of single use disposable pins in the States. They're like little green or red markers. You use them on one patient and you throw them away. Okay, yeah. So after I've marked the areas, we'll take another photo of that. And that's super helpful. That's great. Because then I go back and then I can really, I have, we have it written down, but to have the actual drawings. Yes. And then we'll take one more photo right after the injection, just to kind of see What's what changed? color everything was right afterwards. And that's super helpful. Ah, okay. And do you ever send your patients the photos? Or is that something that's more requested than done? We tried it for a little while. It was a, it was a little bit of um, you know extra work to send it. But so what we're currently doing, probably 85, 90% of our patients do come back for the second visit. And that's when you'll see, I think if you start to have them come back, you'll be like, oh, I thought I thought that was done. And and we, almost everybody for the under eye, and it'll, it'll be just another 0.1 to the tear trough. But it... Because you're layering your, your filler results, so sometimes I'm doing the tear trough and I'm, I want to get it perfect, and it, it just won't yeah. get that last you know, 5%. It's stuck at 95. And then when they come back two weeks later, they actually have gone down from 95 mm. to 85. But now 85% of a great result. But now when I do that second layer, you'll see it just pops up right away. It's almost like things have settled, there's no swelling. And, and so anyway, to answer your question, probably 90% of the patients are coming in for a second visit, but we're not, we're not, I think we're missing some people. And so what I would love to do is have an optional third visit where we're calling them and saying, Hey, do you want to come in? Are you completely happy? And if you're not come in and, and we want to be able to check people off mm. because we're pretty heavy on education and then we're heavy on the, at the beginning like, hey, we want, you know, here's Phyllis 101, here's your first, here's your second visit. And then we just kind of assume that they've gotten a great result. And I feel like we're missing some people. So I would love to have another person in the office who's responsible for checking it off. Like, hey, Jake, you got your two visits. Are you like five out of five happy? Mm. You know, and if you're not, then come in and let's let's do, let's do get that third. Yes, yeah, it's, it's I mean, I think it's great customer service. And, you know, I don't think we do that enough here in Australia. But at the same time, I wonder if you invite five percent of the really difficult clients who are never going to be happy. Yeah, we'll find you're out. inviting that process. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's the thing: in San Francisco, we're the home of Yelp. Oh yeah. Oh right. Okay. I've seen a South Park episode on that. Yeah. I mean, the <laughs> name itself, you know, Yelp. Yeah. Um, so, but you know, and I used to really um, take offense to it the first couple of years, you know, coming from Johns Hopkins, Stanford, and I'm the doctor, but you know, um, when you're reading some Yelps about yourself at the beginning, it's, it can bruise your ego. Confronting, yeah. It's like having a mystery shopper, isn't it? Yeah. You, some you thought you it. did a great job and then you read what they wrote online and he's like, ah. Oh. Yeah. And it, it's always about serve. So, it, and this is what I learned though. Um, I really thought as a surgeon, who cares about our customers? Do you see our result? No one has before and afters like us, hmm. you know, and so. Yeah, okay, you're right. But now I realize it's it's a service industry and we've finally learned that yes, people do want the results, but they want great service. Yeah. And so Yelp has taught me that, you know. But I, when when Yelp first came out, you know, I was reading some reviews like, Yeah, Doctor Mayberry came in and he was eating a cookie and he didn't even offer me any. He's a jerk. <laughs> 
And that was just your staff. <laughs> <laughs> My feelings were, I was like, I was so hungry that day. Yeah. So anyway. So now you got cookies yeah. and filler 101. Anyone listening? Free cookies. And, uh, <laughs> chocolate chip. So um, taught so, me some humility. But oh, I'm sorry, what I wanted to say was in San Francisco, that person, if you don't have them come back in, you'll hear about it eventually because they'll go, you know, there'll be an online review. So we really try to catch the people and have them give the bad review or, or the feedback to us so we can fix it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm curious about, because uh, the Americans, even if you go to a restaurant, that I mean, can be a bit annoying, but the customer service is like full on. Oh, yeah. You know, because people want their tips, and I understand it's different in a restaurant. But I'm just wondering what we can learn from you. What, what can we do differently? Um, I love that filler 101 thing. That's great. Well, we're really talking to our staff about uh, the latest thing is, and it took me a while to learn this too, as the doctor, you think people are coming to see me, right? My name is on it. But in actuality, I'm actually probably 15 to 20% of their experience, right? So a patient may go online, call us, make an appointment, see the front desk, excuse me, um, be taken back by the um, LVN, wash their face, have the photos taken, and they haven't seen me at all. Yes. And so I'm a, a small part of a big picture. So now we realize, hey, it's not just about Dr. Mabry, it's like you're representing the practice. And so we just learned that in, you know, in my office in the last couple of years that it's not just me, it's the whole team. And so letting everybody take responsibility for that has been kind of this evolution of how we want to present ourselves. Mm. Well, I think people want an experience. Yeah. So whether or not you're going on a holiday or whether you're going to get some work done with yeah. yourself, they want an experience. They want to feel like they've had something special. Yeah. And you know, so Susan, um, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and Susan will say, we should be not comparing ourselves to other doctor's offices. We should be comparing ourselves to the Four Seasons, yeah. high-end things, because people are investing a lot of money in this. Yeah. And there's a certain service that they expect to get. And we should be sort of measuring ourselves, you know, with the four seasons, the St. Regency type of experience. And so she's telling us that all the time. Yeah. It's interesting. You're talking about this first visit when you're doing the the fillers for the first time. Almost sounds like you're comparing it to laying the scaffold. Yes. Really. So you're building the foundations and then you're coming back and you're painting the house and you're adding the furniture and you're doing all the little tweaks, right? But you need to do that first stage. Exactly. We're calling it, we call it the foundation treatment. And then, then they come back for the refinement treatment. Okay. Well, and and we, we definitely do that for, you know, very early on in my sort of my filler or medical career, I kind of got really geeky about collecting before and afters. And I was on a mission to have, I, I want great before and afters. So we just have the people come back and you just are really looking at those before and afters. And if you're looking at it as a surgeon, <clears throat> you're not really satisfied. You're like, no, that's okay, but it could be better. Mm-hmm. So when we get someone's approval to, put them on the website as a before and after patient. We really have them come back and, and we'll offer, you know, extra syringes to really get this great result. Can I ask, how do you do your photography? I mean, you said, firstly, you delegate that to someone who's doing it Mm -hmm. every day, which is a really good idea, but most of us are using our phones. So you're, you're using a proper camera system. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're using um, a digital SLR currently use like a Nikon and has a, sort of a flash and we have a you know solid blue background mm-hmm. but that's a big part of the training for me and the staff I used to do it all myself but now I have some some great medical assistants and, and LVNs 
um, I'm sort of smiling because that, that's always the first part of um, my part of the patient's sort of exam. So one of the staff would do the, um, the Phyllis 101 and then I come in and I say, well, let's look at your face together. And I'm always, there's always this first critique. I'm always like, okay, you nailed this photo. Or I'm like, oh, you know, their head's tilted. Let's let's get it, let's get it together. It's really really hard. I think we all struggle. So, ninety yeah. percent fillers and ten percent toxin. That's that seems like. I mean, I think Jake alluded to this earlier. It's like the absolute opposite yes. of what we have in most practices here. Do, is that is that like a United States overall no. trend, or this is your clinic specific? This is our clinic. I mean, okay. I'm, I'm I'm just super passionate about the fillers and the neuromodulators. I mean, you could train. We train. You know. A lot of people could do them. It's it's hard. It's a little harder to distinguish yourself as this neuromodulator artist, you mm. know. But with fillers, I mean, you're building, you're sculpting, you're doing it. So that's where the I find that's almost like a, you know the art, you know the the sculpting. I get I, I, yeah. I love that stuff. I, I don't agree with this, but a lot of clients. Uh, you know, they hop around clinics because they don't value exactly what you just said, the neuromodulator. They're like, well, you know, they're a bit cheaper down the road, so mm-hmm. I go there, but I'm coming to you for filler. It's interesting because, you know, you do see screw-ups. You do see funny eyebrows. You do see product that doesn't work and, yeah. you know, and all these things, and they eventually go to whoever they did a good job in the first place. I mean, I think that they, it's fun to take take wrinkles away, but you're just taking some wrinkles away, right? But if yeah. you're... With fillers, you can. I, I, I like to say I can make anyone look fifteen percent more attractive. Fifteen. Anybody. That's too low. I was hoping for more. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're already so handsome, Jake. I mean, is yeah, that possible? You may already have gotten maybe this one, maybe another five percent. <laughs> but you know, your contouring, you really can. You can change the level of attractiveness if you can change the yeah, jawline. I totally agree. Yeah. Something that. Um, I think has become synonymous with a lot of uh, magazines and when we see these botched jobs, it seems to be that overcooked look, which I think mm. seems to be more, and you correct me if I'm wrong, seems to be more of an American trend mm. than here when you look at some of the celebrities and sort of the over-the-top look. Yeah. Go down Do, to Bondi, Double Bay. Yeah, it's true. See here too, yeah. <laughs> but I think it started, I think we're copying America. Interesting. <laughs> Is yeah. that something that's still very prevalent or do you feel that people are moving more now to wanting to, I guess, look more natural in inverted commas? You know, I think there's like, um, in San Francisco, we like to think we have a certain sort of aesthetic that uh, a lot of my patients are sort of, um, I think they're going for the natural look for sure. Compared to maybe Miami is a little more fashion forward with their aesthetics hmm. and Los Angeles too, where, you know, people are almost a little prouder to, they want you to see that they've had something done. But in San Francisco, where we are, you know, it's a lot of tech people or just people in their 40s that just want to look fresh, but that's one of their big fears is is looking done. So and I, I'm, I'm really happy that we have that kind of practice where people are trying to be subtle. Where do you think um, that stereotype of Americans sort of going that extra step and maybe taking it too far has come from? Well, I mean, probably in places like Los Angeles and Miami where there are a little more fashion for it. And that's where all the the TV shows are showing sort of the housewives that are getting this sort of very, um, you know, 
full full look. Yes, you know, it's a very nice way of saying it. <laughs> it's looking for the nice word. Not even things like you know the Hollywood smile and the facelift that's been taken too far. It's always just a little notch. And and well, I'm from the UK, but we'd always look at it and go, ah, why have they just pushed it too far? Yeah, and the big thing I think we're struggling with the lips in particular. Yeah, you know, and when I was younger, I I would actually not do lips almost. But I think now that I'm a little older, my patients are getting older with me and I'm seeing the importance of doing the lips yeah. because that can be one of the, the subtle differences between a, a man and a woman's lips, just the amount of curve and fullness. And so in SF, what we're trying to do is just not have a lot of wrinkles on the lips and still have some shape. Hmm. But we're really trying to preserve that kind of normal anatomy. Yeah. Seems to be an area that gets overtreated a lot. Yes. Badly in like not just size, proportions, like the lip ratio from from one from the top to the bottom lip can be really out and it just it's very visually jarring when you yeah. see that that sort of so done so badly. Yeah, I think two things. One, people I think there's less of this. For a while people are really doing I think too much to the to the border and maybe too much to the bottom lip. You know, a lot of times we'll keep it to the center of the bottom lip, or maybe even just extending, you know, not quite to the corners, but mm. when you do the entire lower lip, sometimes it, a sausage. it can come a little sausagey. So at least in San Francisco, we, we really avoid that. Yeah. There have been some times where I've had to sort of, you know, negotiate with some patients <laughs> and I've actually said, you know what? I think your lips will actually look even shapelier if you let me dissolve some of that filler. And I'll say, hey, if I can just dissolve some of the filler on the sides here, close to the commissures, I think you're gonna be happier. And they've let me do it and they've been happy with it because instead of having this straight line, you can see it, it goes like that. Curve, yeah. You know? yeah. It tends to be an area people are really scared about getting them dissolved. And when they're dissolved, they want it back straight away. I've, I see those patients come in where it's almost like they're holding on to this look, even though they're not happy with it. They're scared of having deflated lips and they're like, yeah. they're calling up the next day. I want to come in. I want to get it retreated. Mm. Yeah. It's a negotiation for sure. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Um, can you tell us about the FDA? I'm just curious to know what it means and, and who they are and how much control do they have over an injector and your products? <laughs> Yeah, okay, so the Food and Drug uh, Administration um, is uh, the governing body that um, tests the products and, and before we can use them. Um, it's interesting because in the United States that we will have sort of an FDA indication. Um, and fortunately, the doctors are not limited to off, you know, on, on label indications. Okay. So for the longest time, the first neuromodulator that we used in the United States only had, had a very limited on-label indication, but there are other things. So you could do it for frowning. In fact, I guess the first treatment was really for... Um, uh, strabismus? Yeah, for strabismus. For eyes right. that sort of wandered. Yeah, and so all the cosmetic stuff, that was all off-label. Right. But fortunately, we could use it, still use it for that. Okay. But I do like the fact that in the United States... Um, we have less fillers. Yeah, I mean, same here in Australia, actually, but you go to Europe and it, it's crazy. Yeah. Literally, like, you couldn't name half of them or a third of them, there's just too many. And, you know, you wonder, have these been vigorously, you know, tested and looked at, and some of them haven't. Yeah. So, could you use a European non-FDA approved filler, or is that completely out of bounds? I don't, I don't think so. 
But you know what? There's something interesting. I have some colleagues <laughs> that are getting filler. I know, I know of people that get their filler from, you know, maybe Canada actually, and and I don't actually don't even know if that's if legit. you can legit can't do that. Or not. I've just never even. But they must, you know, for them to be doing it. I, 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 Why would they do? Is it cheaper? Yes. Okay. Well. Yeah. So, and I just. I've never even looked into the legality of that. You know, we always just get our products. Yeah. You might have some insurance issues, maybe if something goes wrong and using a product that's not approved, an insurance company might yeah <laughs> might decide they don't want to yeah maybe get involved. Maybe that's the idea. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Sorry. Go on. Well, I was going to say, um, I think the companies are moving towards um, describing the filler, the consistency of it, and so the doctors can make sense of. Well, why will we use this new filler? You know, it's interesting. Gal Derman Allegren recently had just two or two or three new fillers come out all at once. Oh, right. And in the United States, and the question is, okay, well, where are we? And sometimes you would ask your rep, so how does this compare to the other filler? Should I switch over? And they're like, mm, you know, I don't know. It's new. Yeah. Um, so it's nice, I think, to actually say, hey, this filler is great for the lips because it's kind of gooey and it spreads out while this filler is great for the chin because it stays exactly where you put it in it's firm you know yeah. Yeah. Um, and that, that, ha that isn't always the case with the fillers mm. and sometimes they come out a filler will come out and the company actually doesn't even have a suggestion on where you should put it so they'll say well do you want to try it so out they just flood the market with this new thing and say go yeah, and I'm like, well, yeah. that's crazy. Where would I put it? Let yeah. us know what you think. Where are you putting it? Yeah. yeah. Well, so how did you train when you first trained and, and how are you learning sort of continually? Like, Who's providing that education? Uh, yeah, well, the first, the first was all just figuring it out. I remember um, at, at first, the first products I was using were from Galderma and we were just using them for lips and wrinkles, nasolabial folds. Sure. I remember there was one patient in particular in 2006, she was Nigerian, and she was like, I want bigger cheeks. And I was like, you're crazy, what do you, what do you mean you want bigger cheeks? I was like, get out of here, you know, you know? And she came back and then she brought a photo of herself when she was younger. And you could see that she now she had creases here, but she used to have more cheeks. And I was like, oh, I see. And that was the very first patient that I started putting fillers sort of in the cheek area. Yeah. And that was just me learning from her kind of on the job. It's yeah. so interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And so presumably things have evolved and there's like, yes. you've got a rep, you said, you work with the major companies. How often do you touch base with them and, and what support do they offer you? Um, they come by pretty frequently, but I would say now the education that I'm getting is from, you know, other, other injectors. Um, there was a time... Um, there was a time, okay, there was one product from Allergan, one of the, their first products that, you know, I was using and I use it in, in for the tear trough. Mm -hmm. I remember it was April of 2014 and I've never had a problem with the tear trough. And so in that April of 2014, I had like four people with puffy eyes and I was mm -hmm. like, uh, I don't like this product. So then for the next four years, I wasn't using any Allergan product, I was just using just Galderma. Right. Um, but then I saw Dr. Jamayo speak and he was talking about sort of a mid-phase product and I was really impressed with him. And so I came back and started trying it myself. I was like, oh, this is a great product. Yeah. 
for the mid face and, and cheekbones. So um, it's sort of um, you know you can become a master of a filler, even if someone else wouldn't have a clue. Uh, you know the layer and how to use it in quantities like it's it's an experience thing mm -hmm. as well as anything else you know you can know your anatomy but it, it, if you don't know how that filler sort of handles yeah and you know is it better with a needle or a cannula or what quantities we can all run into problems so yeah i think we've all had that experience yeah 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 where do you think it's going like what do you see for the future in terms of dermal fillers and and, and facial shaping and anti-aging do you do you feel that we're sort of about to hit another sort of quantum leap or do you think we're yeah i think so i think even though i, I don't have any direct experience with the uh, md codes yet but you know that's that direction of is fantastic to see certainly the education has improved a lot so our understanding of the anatomy you know and people knowing or respecting where the arteries are is fantastic. And I think you're just gonna see more people talk about, hey, you should use a thick filler in this zone of the face and, and, and this is why. So yeah, I think we are gonna have a new, a new quantum leap pretty soon. Mm. So I don't know if you've come across this, but the concept of myomodulation, have you come across that? A little bit. So what do you think about that? I mean, it's incredible. I mean, you were talking about your photos earlier where you get them to animate, smile, kiss, mm -hmm. whatever. You can use fillers uh, in different planes to affect how the muscle will pull and, and how to affect the leverage of the muscle. So, you know, if you've got a muscle that attaches to a bone, well, sorry, to the skin, to another part, it's obviously creating like a fulcrum effect yeah so if you can inject filler under there then you can strengthen that muscle and get it to pull harder or if you inject above the muscle you can dampen that down so you can start to affect expression with filler yeah that's really interesting i would say i just sort of heard of this um this uh, sort of notion maybe in the last few months hmm. so i haven't had a chance to play around with trying that we yet. will talk off off mic about this <laughs> yeah but um yeah that that's the more advanced levels of md code so it's it's really really interesting and it's a completely different dynamic you know to treat someone's gummy smile with filler mm -hmm. because it will give you volume but also dampen down that gummy smile and last for a year or two not for a few months like yeah, your I can see the smile being a great place to do that yeah so yeah i'd say currently probably most of the fillers that i'm using sort of in the under eye or mid face most of the injections i'm doing are submuscular in this area and then for the lower face most of the injections i'm doing are more subcutaneous and a lot of that is i'm because of where the arteries are yes you know i'm sort of trying to stay away from the arteries here and i find that um around the mouth subcutaneous just um has, is a better place both for safety and for sort of a facing kind of the indentations and grooves you get yeah while the opposite's true sort of under the eye you know going submuscular kind of pushes things up and mm. so it's kind of where we tend to do most of my injections yeah i think uh dr lou this weekend's going to be talking to us about the next generation of fillers mm -hmm. which i know a tiny amount about but they're going to improve the elastic quality of the skin yeah so that's pretty exciting i'm pumped for that whenever they <laughs> arrive yeah because suddenly we'll be able to deal with saggy truly rather than just sort of revolumizing yeah so uh hopefully he's going to tell us more i'm excited yeah. yeah very good so 
how do people get in contact with you if they'd like to find out further information or send you an email or come oh. get some treatment? Yeah, well, you know, we invite them to check out our website, uh, Your Face in Our Hands. And, um, you know, I th- I'd say we love for people to really take the time to peruse the website. And then, you know, anyone in the in the office is, um, is eager and, and ready to talk to you in person if you have any questions. What about your Instagram? Because that's often, you know, we were talking off camera. It's a, it's a yeah. logical place for a lot of people to stumble across, you know, your work. Yeah, we have this lovely lady that uh, does our Instagram. <laughs> Sat right behind me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, my wife does a great job. Um, with some interesting posts. So yeah, check. And she's pretty big on keeping educational too. Yeah. So what's the handle so people can check you out? What's the Instagram? Is it Dr. David Mabry MD, not, is it? Or something it's like It's David Mabry MD. I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, that's it. There's so <laughs> so many times people will walk up and say, hey, how are you doing? I, you responded to my Instagram. At the time. Yeah. So David Mabry MD. Yeah, yes. Very American MD. And whereabouts are you guys situated in San Francisco? Like if people wanted to come and check out, do they give you a call first or do they do you take people just wandering on in? <laughs> they have to come by an appointment. <laughs> no, yeah. yeah He's that, booked up for two years, isn't he? Oh wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not yet, not yet booked up. Yeah. Um, so we're in Union Square, San Francisco, and uh, people come by and hang out with us. Great. Excellent. Well, yeah. thank you so much for your time and we're going to have a great weekend at the conference. Okay, Vincent. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and have a safe trip back home. Thanks, guys. See you later. Bye-bye. Awesome.